0: We hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. We have been doing a series called Love Your Neighbour. We're finishing off this series this morning. In this series, what we've established, uh, we've established that which is central to the church, the mission of connecting with our community and others, bringing God's love to their life. We cannot, we cannot lose sight of this mission. Along a certain sea coast, that was known to be very dangerous, there stood a lone little lighthouse with a volunteer rescue squad. And although the lighthouse was weather-beaten and old, the members of that rescue squad were proud of their reputation, being willing to risk life and limb to go into the deep to rescue those who floundered on the dangerous sea. After many years, though, the old lighthouse was beaten up and broken down. And they raised funds and they managed to uh, build a brand new lighthouse, even more modern. It had more rooms and they were built to enhance the social interaction of the squad members. The building became a very elaborate clubhouse. Soon the lighthouse club became the meeting place for the community. The problem was that the squad members then spent a lot of time on their social activities. And it was not long before uh, there were very few people who were interested in going out to rescue those who were being shipwrecked. So they thought around this, and they created a specialized squad to do the work. One cold, raining night, the specialized squad was summoned to a nasty shipwreck off the coast. They got to the scene and returned with dozens of victims of the wreck. The bleeding and dirty were brought into this elaborate clubhouse. Some were black, brown, yellow, and many didn't seem to care very much about the elaborate setting to which they had been brought. This created a conflict. Those who enjoyed the social activities felt the rescue efforts were really just getting in the way of the social activities. What happened in the end was the rescue squad was forced to start a new lighthouse separate from the original one. And this story is an example of how easily an organization can lose sight of its mission. As a church, we are a worshiping community. We disciple those who follow after Jesus. And together, we have the mission to reach out beyond ourselves to those who do not yet know Jesus. And that is why we're doing this series, Love Your Neighbour. This series has been reminding us of who God calls us to be as St. Martin C3, as Christians. We began by saying that all of our mission efforts need to have prayer at the center. Then we looked at how we can build good relationships with people in our lives. And then after that, we had three messages on loving our neighbor through our deeds, through words, and through miraculous signs. Today, I want to wrap it all up by looking at why we love others. And then I want to move us towards action. So even if you've not been part of this series, may this be an encouragement to you. Even if you're not a Christian, why? Why do Christians love? Is it, is it just something that they? It's on their to-do list they have to do? And then how can we step out and do it? So we're going to read a scripture and we're going to explore it together. So turn in your Bibles with me if you've got them. It's going to come up on the screen behind me, but have a look in your own Bible. Luke chapter 10 is where we are going today. We're going to start in verse number one. And here's some context before we begin. Jesus is about to begin his long journey to Jerusalem. This is the journey that will end in his crucifixion. He knows he has one more chance to bring the gospel of the the kingdom to the people around. And so what he does is he gathers together some of his followers, and he sends them out to prepare the way For him before he goes. So we start in Luke chapter 10, verse 1. The Lord now chose 72, some versions actually say 70 other disciples, and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go and remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals, and don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's house, first say, may God's peace be on this house. Those who live there are peaceful. The blessing will stand. If they're not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pain. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you now. These are essential words for us to consider. What we're reading here is not a a direct model of Christian mission. We don't see it repeated word for word, say in the book of Acts when the uh, apostles go out. or We don't see it encouraged in the epistles. However, there are some principles that are essential for us to understand as we conclude our series today. The first one is the why of mission, and the second is the how of mission. I want to talk to you about why Jesus called people onto mission, because it shows us why we should do mission. But, and this is going to sound really weird, this passage actually doesn't directly tell us. Jesus doesn't say why. It does say there is a great harvest, but it doesn't even explain what this is. And what's really interesting is that none of the disciples here or anywhere else asked Jesus, why are we doing this? Why are we going out to do mission? Why? why? Neither Matthew nor Luke, who wrote about this, thought to describe it uh, as to what the purpose was. But there are some things inherent in it that give us some clues. The first one is really significant, and that's that Jesus chose uh, 70 followers. And what he's doing here is he's replicating something that happened in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when Moses started the nation of Israel, when he took them out of Egypt, he was encouraged to get together a group of people who could lead the nation. It was a group of 70 people. And so what Jesus is doing here is he is replicating what Moses did with Israel. Just as there are the 12 disciples that replicate the 12 tribes, so we have here the 70 who replicate the 70 from Israel. So why is that significant? Because what Jesus is doing here is a continuation of what happened through the nation of Israel. What he is setting up and what he is indicating is that what Israel was supposed to do is what he is now going to do through his new set of followers. And if you look at the mission of Israel, the DNA of Israel was mission. See, this is why we're not told the why. We shouldn't need to be. Part of the DNA of Israel was their mission. They were to be like God. His essence is formed around a never stopping, a never giving up, an unbreaking, always and forever love. And that's who they were to be too. They were to be a light to the nations, says Isaiah 49, 6. People through whom all the world would be blessed, says Genesis twelve two. A kingdom of priests drawing others to God, says Exodus 19, verse 6. That was who they were to be, a light drawing others in. And it's who uh, God wanted his people to be. Those who would love and would go outside themselves to bring God's goodness to the world. They were to recover the lighthouse type mission. These disciples uh, were to go. And it was to be as natural to them as a soldier fighting in a war. It's what they were purposed to do, it's who they were purposed to be. That's true for Israel. It's true for those disciples, and it's true for us as Christians. If you are a child of God, then you have been adopted into His family with His values made in His image. You share His DNA. And just as His DNA was to send Christ, so it is that we go to the world. Mission is part of the DNA of what it means to be the people of God. Jesus commanded it, and the church has embodied it. Uh, Fraser, if you go back to that message a few weeks ago, Fraser showed us so well that through history, this is what the church has done. This is who we have been, those who would love and would love well. And we need to make sure we continue to do it. William Temple once said these words, worthy of a discussion. The church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not its members. And you might feel that understates other aspects of what it means to be the church, but you have to acknowledge that it's true, that the reason we exist is to make sure that the love of God is shared with the world. So it's who we are. But it's not only who we are, but it's also what the world most needs. One of the all-time great TV series, I think, is the show uh, Band of Brothers. And actually, if you look on uh, one of those Rating type sites. It's right up there as the top TV show ever. It's based on the Stephen Ambrose biography. It follows the Easy Company of the US Army 101st Airborne Division and their campaign from their training through their, to their landing in Normandy in 1944 uh, to VE Day in 1945. And the most powerful episode, though I wouldn't recommend it for younger ones, is titled Why We Fight. Easy Company goes through Nazi-occupied territory, and they come across a concentration camp in the forest. And in this concentration camp are these emaciated prisoners, mostly Jews, who have been worked to exhaustion and starved until they are just skin and bones. It's one of the most unsettling portrayals of the Holocaust you'll see. The narrative of the episode, though, is is how these soldiers are beginning to tire of the war. It seems like victory is, is close, and they're just getting tired. And so they're getting up to things that soldiers shouldn't be getting up to. They were happy to fight for their country and do what Uncle Sam asks, but it's been challenging, and they no longer see any point in it. But then they know, once they go to this place, why we fight, what they are fighting for. And they determined that they would give everything, everything to see these people find freedom. I remember watching that episode and being moved and shocked by the destruction. This was just a small picture of it, of what happened in the Holocaust. But I was also inspired as I watched it to refocus myself on the mission of reaching people for Jesus. See, sin is a thief and a liar. And its pathways always lead to our emaciation, our death, our destruction. Even if we can't see what's going on, this is what the world is like without Jesus. We need to do whatever it takes to help people take hold of the freedom which which Christ has won for them. The reason that we share with people, the reason that we pray with them and give our time and effort is because we love them. Word, sign, and deed happen because we want to see people changed. They need the hope that only Jesus can bring. And if we ever lose sight of why we reach out to others, I think we need to remember that. And the easiest way I can think to remember that is to remember what Jesus has done for me. Let me ask you this morning, what has Jesus done for you? How has he changed you? What has he transformed inside of you? The Bible says that we love because he first loved us. In other words, I think the degree to which we know the love of God is the level to which we will be motivated to share his love with others. Do we know his love deep in our hearts? And if we truly do, then we will be moved to action. What has Jesus done for you? Re-engaging with God's love for you will give you the motivation and strength that you need to reach out to others. The purpose you have, the freedom you have, is the freedom that others can have too. Our purpose then is to reach others with the love of Jesus because that is who we are and because that is what changes the world. And that is what he's done for us. That's why we love. So let's go back to the scripture now. And let's have a look at some principles of how we can bring that change to others. And what I want to do as we look at the scripture is sum up some of the things that we have been covering in this series. And look at five quick principles from Jesus' teaching and his encouragement with his disciples. So, Verse 2, Luke 10, verse 2. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the work is a few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. God, says Jesus, is in charge of the harvest. So go to him with your mission needs. Jesus saw the need for more people, and he knew only God could provide that. so he encouraged his disciples to pray. There are other things that we can pray for as we go. As you begin to speak and share about the work that God has done in your life, pray for people on the other side of the conversation. Ask God to give you the right words and to give others receptive hearts. Pray for people to come into your life. Pray for them before you encounter them. Pray for them as you are encountering them. Just as you're talking with someone and going, hey, this is someone I need to love. Have this little dialogue that goes on in your heart that says, God, please help me now. Give me the words, give me the, the actions. Help me to genuinely and truly show your love. Pray for them after you encounter them. That what has happened in that moment would continue. We need to pray. Number two, we need to focus on needs. Luke 10 verse 5 says, Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, May God's peace be on this house. So we come, we come as a church with a blessing upon people. And unfortunately, churches too often are known as those who come with a little bit of a stick. Oh, I'm going to tell you the way that you should be living. I'm going to tell you what's wrong with you. But the Bible says that we come first by saying, may God's peace be on this house. What if that was your prayer as you came to someone? God, help me bring peace to this person. And when they heard peace, they heard more than just uh, sort of calmness that we think about when we think of peace. They would have thought of the very Jewish idea of shalom, shalom is the idea of the kind of peace that comes when all the world is as it should be when everything is right with the world and inherent in this blessing is to discover what's not right in the world and bring peace to that thing that's why we need to focus on the needs of others a big question we should be asking when we meet somebody is what do they most need that I can bring to them. We have to do more than trust our techniques. We can't put on programs because we think they're a good idea. That would be like giving someone a pre-rehearsed gospel presentation when they tell you they have coronavirus. They have a need that we can meet. Instead, we look to help them with the need that is in front of us. Then when the moment comes, we can use that gospel presentation as a as a base to a conversation about spiritual matters. But first, we need to be very good at discovering what actually is going on for them and what they really, really need. So we pray, we focus on needs, and then we realize that their response is their responsibility. Verse 6, If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they're not, the blessing will return to you. It is up to us to put ourselves out there and to love others. But the rest is up to God. It's not up to us how people respond. And it's up to them to choose how they're going to respond. Love is generous, but it is really forceful. To give yourself for others, even when they might reject you, is a sacrifice, but that is what we are called to do. The Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke puts all the teaching of the righteous, which is a major theme of the book of Proverbs, into a concise and practical principle. He says the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community. To advantage themselves. We need to be willing to sacrifice and to put ourselves out there, even to uh, be, be looked at, down on, to be disadvantaged for the good of other people. That's what love does. But it doesn't mean we will always see results. The results are going to be up to that person. The blessing goes out and they want to receive it. They're a peaceful person and they'll receive it. But if they're not, then it will return to you. You've done what you need to do. We leave that part between the person and God. Number four, we need to build relationships. Luke 10 verse 7, don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. Jesus encouraged his disciples to engage in more than surface-level relationships. There is a a value in presencing ourselves with a group of people. Uh, I've lived um, in the same house for about six or seven years. and Through that time, we've had many neighbors come and go. But I found the value of being there, seeing someone down the drive and saying hello, asking them how they're doing seeing what's going on in their lives, seeing how we can serve them and help them. Sometimes it's as simple as sweeping the drive. Uh, sometimes it's a, a matter of helping in practical ways. Oftentimes it's just a friendly conversation that people most need. But this time has gone on and we've had conversations. The more I've been there, the more I've been able to share about Jesus and to talk about spiritual things. Now, I know that there's a problem with comparing our evangelism with the freeing of Jews and band of brothers. And the problem is this. The problem is that many people don't know that they're living in a concentration camp. They don't know that they're dying inside without the love of Jesus. My first car was a, a drab, gray, rusty 1984 Honda Accord. It had this amazing water feature uh, it had a sunroof in it, which I thought was so cool, but who, why would you need a sunroof? What's that even for? Cars these days don't have them because it's weird, but it had this electric sunroof. I could push it and the thing would come back. The problem with it was somewhere around that sunroof, there was a leak, and so every time it rained, the water would come in around the sunroof, and it would gather in the ceiling section, and then I would drive. And I would put my foot on the brake, and the water, which was all sitting in the ceiling at the back, would come forward and just splash all over the front of the car. So my first date with Joanna was really interesting. Hey, let's go out for a date, jump in the car, move forward, and the water splashed all over her. My first day of work at my, uh, sort of my first uh, church work position, move forward. Water came all over me, and I was already running late, and so I was drenched, um, particularly over top of my jeans, and so I just went into the office with wet jeans and just thought, this looks really bad. It looks like I was really nervous on my first day of work. But nobody said anything, so I think it was okay. Um, And somehow Joanna still married me, so it all turned out all right in the end. But after several years, I decided to get a new car. I brought a shiny white Nissan Sephira. I mean, this thing was so bright. I'd drive along the road, and the sun would reflect off it, and children would be blinded and walk into fence posts. Uh, But it was a transformation. It was so different. It went from this old thing that probably if I crashed would have killed me, Um, this old car that was so rusty and difficult and would struggle to start, through to something that was so smooth and so easy. And that is what God offers for those who follow after him. Maybe it's better than Nissan Sefero. Maybe there's a, you've got your own version of that somewhere there. But the problem is that most people love their 1984 Honda Accord. They love that thing. They're just like, yeah, this, this is great. This is fantastic. They don't realize that there is Innocence Sefero out there for them. It's their car, and they're just happy enough with it. How do we break through that when people go, yeah, you know, I'm okay with my anxiety. I'm okay with my life as it is now. Doing it by myself, for myself. I'm okay with that. I think that prayer is essential. And then the only other thing that will break it through is relationship. It's relationship that allows the gospel presentation to be seen and understood. As others see the reality in your life, they're blinded by that shiny whiteness of Pharaoh. They realize there might be a better way. So we get to be that with others by being around them, sticking with them. So, number five, share words, sign, and, and deeds like Jesus. Verse nine, heal the sick, tell them the kingdom of heaven. Is near you now. Jesus here is telling them to emulate Him. The kingdom of God is near was a, a dual message of God's way of life becoming a reality now. And the fact that Jesus, who embodied that life, was on His way. When we love others, we must talk about Jesus, we must show love like Jesus. We pray with the faith and the power of Jesus, sharing with words, miraculous signs and deeds. Jesus' kingdom was about sharing love and bringing justice to the needy. And there's a lot of great talk at the moment about justice, important talk, racial inequality, gender bias. And the mistreatment of the vulnerable, they're real. And Christians, I believe, should be at the front line, standing up and making a difference. But with one note here, we cannot do justice without Jesus. We cannot do justice without Jesus. I have a friend who cared about justice. They longed to see no one repressed or limited in life. And they saw some ways the Bible's encouraged this. But ultimately, when I pushed them, they thought, well, the Bible doesn't really seem to go far enough. So they ended up rejecting the Bible and even their relationship with God. They were so dedicated to justice that they left their faith. But the truth is that we cannot know what justice really looks like without Jesus. He's called us to bring freedom to bring the kingdom way of life. And our fuel is the relationship that we have with him. And in the same way, we cannot bring justice without discovering what biblical justice is, which, by the way, biblical justice is so complete when you look at it through Scripture. It has the the necessary framework to bring what our society most needs. Whereas secular justice, they can't even decide what justice is. There are so many different views that you can't say justice and all mean the same things. But in the same way that, that we can't know what justice is without knowing what biblical justice is. We can't really know what love looks like without knowing Christ. Without being connected in our relationship with him. Without knowing the giver and the author of love. The one who showed it by sacrificing and giving his life as a ransom for many. And until we know the source of love, we cannot love our neighbor. So we want to share words and signs and deeds like Jesus did. So as we go, let's pray. Let's focus on the needs around us. So remember that their response is their responsibility. Let's build relationships and share words, signs, and deeds like Jesus. And in all of this, we know that it's better if we do it together. Jesus sent his followers out two at a time. And as a church, we encourage us not just to do individual mission, but together to be involved in various missional uh, projects and programs that we have. And on the way in, if you picked up some sermon notes, we gave you one of these. It's a Love Your Neighbor flyer. And the reason we're giving this to you at the end of this series and there's some more on the table if you didn't pick one up on the way in, is because what we're doing here is more than a sermon series. It's who we are as a church. And so as we finish this series, here's what we want to encourage you to do. If you're a member of this church, if you're involved here, we want to encourage you to have a look at this flyer, to see the different ways that people are getting involved in loving our neighbor. We want you to pick one. We want to see every member of our church involved in a missional program of some sort. Can I give you that challenge? We're not going to tick your name off and go, oh, that person's not involved with anything. We know that life's busy and there are lots of things, but it is an encouragement for you, a challenge to say, what are you involved with? Have a look at this list. And there might be some things which aren't even on this list. Here at Samaritan C3, we don't have a formula for outreach. Instead, we listen to the needs of our community and remain open to God leading us in love. That's why we do our preschoolers program, Total Rock, because we see the need for young mums to have support in that really tricky time, or dads, or, or caregivers. That's why we do our seniors group. That is why we want people to commit to being involved with 0800 Hungry, delivering parcels, food parcels to the needy around our community. Because they are groups of vulnerable people that we can bless. But we do recognize that there will be other things that we can do that we haven't even thought of yet. And so we want to ask for your help. Can you give us feedback? If there are things that we're not doing, you go, here's an area. Here's something that we can do to meet needs. We would love to hear from you. One thing that has become apparent to me through this series is that one of the significant needs in our Western world is around mental and emotional health. Anxiety, grief, depression, loneliness are massive problems in our world. And I wonder, just to see thought, what if we could do something? I don't know what that looks like. I'm not sure what that means yet. It could be an email address or a phone number for people to contact. It could be a course. My mum produces these uh, great mental health courses like 24 Days to a Stress-Free Life. It could be running something like that over a four-week period. But there are opportunities for us to do mission, to see this community come to know Jesus. Now, I know you'll probably go to lunch and forget most of what I've said this morning. Uh, You might remember Band of Brothers, The Lighthouse, and my 1984 Honda Accord, but the rest can sometimes get a bit lost. So I just want to leave you with this one question. What can you do to get involved in the mission of this church? And then once you've figured that out, if you want to be involved in a program or you want to know more information about a program, we have an email address that we've set up for you to contact us on. It's going to come up on the screen behind me. It's loveyourneighbor at c3chch.org. neighbor at c3chch.org. You can email us and say, tell me more about 0800 Hungry. Tell me more about uh, uh, total Rock. Tell me more about how I can get involved with these things. So find something to do with others in the church. But also identify people in your own life who most need the love of Jesus. Identify their needs and find a gospel solution, word, sign, and deed.
1: And then love
0: them. Love on people. Bless them. And pray and pray and pray. Can we do it? Yes, we can. Follow the builder. Told me that line. We can do it as a church. We can love others. We can do it.